You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Into hour number two, eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Good morning. Thanks for being with us on this Friday, a free-for-all Friday, the 30th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Last Wednesday and Thursday, I was broadcasting live from Washington, D.C., uh, from a rooftop uh, uh, in D.C. in the shadow of the Capitol. We had some inclement weather. We had some wind blowing. We had some rain falling. And, uh, yeah, we had a little bit of a power drop there. We got cu- cut out of the last four or five minutes. Uh, from our, uh, of our interview with uh, former Secretary of Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli. So guess what? We need to finish that conversation, and then we need to start a new one. That one was about immigration. This one's going to be about election integrity and transparency, because as Election Day nears, we are all trying to decide, will it be a red wave, will it be a red tsunami, will it be a Democrat upset? And the real question is, is will the election be free and fair? Is it something that can be trusted as being uh, honest and a re- and a reflection of the will of the people? So joining us now is, again, the former uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli. Uh, Mr. Cuccinelli, good to have you back. Sorry we got knocked out of uh, uh, commission there last week, but it's good to have you now. How are you, sir? Okay, we got to pot him up over there, Josh. <clears throat> there we go. Uh, can you hear me now, Ken? Yes, I can. Okay, sorry about that. We got you good, uh, uh, loud and clear. So um, just real quick, before we start talking about election integrity, and there are a lot of questions I have for you about uh, nationally, but also about here in the state of Ohio in particular, just to kind of put a wrap on what we did last week and what you did and so many other very important people did and shining a huge spotlight on the dangers of unchecked um, immigration, illegal immigration on our southern border. I saw this this morning, Bill Clinton himself, Bill Clinton, still maybe the patron saint for some in the Democrat Party, uh, said in a recent interview, there is a limit to the number of people we can allow into this country. There is a limit on immigration, not just illegal immigration, but even legal immigration. And that is something that not too many people who are currently running the country want to hear. Uh, what, what is your takeaway after our week of, uh, of broadcast from FAIR? Well, I, I jokingly in some of my communications have a category of, you know it's bad when... Well, if you're this administration, you know it's bad when Bill Clinton is telling you that you have an unsecure border, which when you're talking about the numbers coming in is effectively what he's saying. So uh, that that is pretty extraordinary given the perspective. But but look, ordinary Democrats, by which I mean the folks in yours and my neighborhood who vote Democrat, don't support the policies the Biden administration is implementing or failing to implement intentionally regarding the southern border. I mean, he has been underwater with Democrat voters since March of 2021. So literally less than two months into his administration, when it became apparent he was going to do what he said in the campaign on the southern border, which meant what we've seen, um, that uh, even Democrat voters don't support it. And it's really hurting them politically. I mean, you may see a wave of flipping Democrat seats along the Texas border, for instance. And it's a major issue in the races in the border states, including the surprisingly competitive New Mexico governor's race. Um, you know, what's uh, what's interesting is, 
since you, I love that um, line about Bill Clinton. Um, you know, it's bad when. Yeah. I, I want to go to the other patron saint of the Democrat Party, Ken Cuccinelli, Barack Obama, who took a very different approach in a speech that he gave, or actually an interview that he was part of just a few short days ago, in which he declared all of these poll, all of the polling that shows uh, um, Joe Biden underwater, particularly as it pertains to people's opinions and feelings on the open border. He just went right back to the race card and said, Republicans don't want people of darker shades to start flooding into the country. Um, this is something he played off the top of the deck, quite frankly, when he was the president. Uh, plays it off the bottom of the deck whenever there is an, in, there's no way to defend. It's an indefensible position. When you talk about the amount of drugs and everything you and I spoke of last week, the drugs and the human trafficking and everything else coming across that border, when you cannot defend that, he goes to the race card. How do you respond to that? Well, that that is that analysis is one Americans get. I mean, this is Peter crying wolf over and over and over. And let me just say, look, I, I worked for a long time in different parts of my life on sexual assault issues, and you get this same myth the the myth of crying rape, right? Well, the people who fake it for other purposes, who abuse the accusation draw into question the real cases. So let's come back to your example. I mean, racism still happens. It will happen as long as human beings have human hearts. And to call everything, and that's what they're doing on the left now, and Barack Obama leads the way, going to really bring the country together. You remember that? Let's give him a peace prize in advance. (laughs) And and he was incredibly divisive along racial lines. And being the first black president, he was positioned to be even more divisive than others before him. And he has continued that track. I think Americans are essentially immune to the racist charge now because it has been so overused for the last six, seven, eight years. It's it's just become meaningless as an element of debate. And, um, you know, with 160 different countries coming in through that southern border, yes, it's true that most of them are from the Western Hemisphere. But, um, I mean, from a partisan standpoint, why would Republicans not want Hispanics on a purely political basis? They're voting Republican. That's right. You know, I'm I'm in Virginia, and uh, Glenn Youngkin in 2021 got 54% of the Hispanic vote. You know, that is not a negative. But more people on the right than the left, and by the way, there's still plenty on the left, who think the law ought to be enforced, which doesn't seem like a crazy concept to most people. And uh, the fact that the left is so against enforcing the law leads you to question, what are they really after? Um, This is a means to an end. It isn't just an end unto itself. I think uh, what you just said about um, about Barack Obama and what he said uh, is is accurate. But I think what he's probably doing is saying that he recognizes that Hispanics are voting Republican and maybe a way to flip them back around to say, you know, these Republicans don't want people who look like you coming across the border. You know, probably just trying to stoke that a little bit and saying most of the people who are coming across are brown or black people and they don't like it, so they don't like you. Maybe trying to flip that trend that is indeed uh, you know continuing to grow which is the uh, Hispanic vote going for Republicans because they recognize who's really looking out for their best interest. Um, Ken Cuccinelli well, is my guest. Go ahead, Ken. 
Yeah, and their problem with that is, um, you know, if you look at the just the cultural background of most Hispanics in the country, and I think this is a reasonable generalization, cultural background here, and you compare it to the radical wokeism being pushed by the left. I mean, you've got the first lady talking about Latinx and taco, breakfast tacos, and Hispanic people have never heard anybody say or call themselves Latinx. I mean, this is a made-up, radical, left, woke, um, cultural assault on everyone. And Hispanics are turned off by that. They're entrepreneurial, just looking at the numbers in terms of starting businesses. They're entrepreneurial, they're pro-family, they're religious. None of those things ring true with the woke agenda. Those are all considered... um, uh, well, two of the three, being pro-family and and uh, religious, are directly contrary and stand in the way of the woke agenda. So um, that it isn't so much that Republicans are doing anything any different other than paying attention to talking more to everyone who might listen. In this case, we're talking about Hispanic voters. But the Democrat Party is going so hard to the left in this just wacky stuff, whether it's gender or fill in the blank of the new letter added to LGBTQ today, you know, um, we're, we're closing in on the whole alphabet, is um, is not simpatico with Hispanic cultural norms. And um, when that becomes a priority for governance, as it has in this administration, you get predictable results with voters who are culturally turned off by that. I think that's a great point. That is a very good point. That is uh, that is not a big part of the Hispanic culture, and they really have a big problem, again, with not being able to identify one another as Latino or Latina, as they always have, and trying to say there's another option. Ken Cuccinelli is my guest. He is the former director, uh, or excuse me, secretary of Homeland Security. He is now the senior fellow uh, at the Center for Renewing America. Let's talk about renewing America at the ballot box on November 8th, Ken Cuccinelli. Um Election integrity and transparency. Almost every guest that I have on in which we talk about the midterms, I ask them, do you believe we will have free and fair elections across this country in this in these midterms? We all know what happened in uh, in uh, November of 2020. There is a dispute, of course, depending on your political affiliation of, of what it really means. But there were questions. There were lots of questions. There were lots of Lawsuits filed, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, counting wasn't done for days after, uh, and all of the different things that, that came with that. Do you have confidence that we will have free and fair elections that we can trust, that the American people can believe will be the will of the people when we see those outcomes uh, by the end of the night on November 8th? Well, it won't be by the end of the night. Some states are allowing counting to go on for days and days, and um, we saw... We saw Alaska's primary, for instance, not be determined for, what was it, 10 days, two weeks. And you're going to have the same ranked choice voting disaster used again in Alaska. So combine that with the fact that in Alaska, they literally have to bring ballots physically from immense distances up in the northern reaches of the state. Um, It could be weeks before you know the outcome of that Senate race, that governor's race. Um, So don't count on knowing all these outcomes on election night. I will say this, that when you look across the country, um, there have been substantial improvements made in many states. We are far better off going into the 2022 midterms from an election transparency and security standpoint 
than we were going into the 2020 election. Far better off. And there are a wide variety of reasons for that. One of them is um, the, the focus for the first time across the country by uh, legislators on improving their own systems, many of which are out of date. I mean, in Pennsylvania, they had the most comprehensive rewrite of election laws, and Governor Wolf vetoed it. Um, and in his press conference, was getting things wrong in the bill, so you could tell it was just a partisan veto. They're working on a 1937 election code. I mean, that's that's how that's how behind they are in terms of uh, of the modern day. There are phrases in their election law that don't make sense in 2022. And they're not the only state in that position. But other states where they don't have, say, a Governor Wolf vetoing things have made real progress. And even in Pennsylvania, they got rid of the infamous Zuckerbucks that were used so partisanly, supposedly from charities, um, to essentially pay for government financed voter turnout in Democrat areas. And uh, that extraordinary occurrence um, has been. 20 and in Pennsylvania, Virginia, uh, Kentucky, South Carolina, it was done on a bipartisan basis. So this is not just a one party effort. In fact, New Jersey and Rhode Island have passed improvements in their election systems, more transparency. Um, and election officials now know everybody's watching. And I can tell you as a former attorney general of Virginia, when someone who's willing to do bad things, is deciding that question, do I or don't I, should I stay or should I go, to quote the clash. Um, it's the, the deciding factor is their perception of the likelihood of getting caught, not the penalties, the perception they have of the likelihood of getting caught. And since 2020, thousands of ordinary citizens across the country have stepped forward to get trained as election officials and everybody listening to you and me can do this because every local election, every national election is run with citizens to staff up the election offices. And, and you can even get paid a little bit of money to do it. Typically, for, for, Forgive me. And they uh, call them different things in different parts of the country, but everybody can do that. And it has happened around the country and it has provided an immense growth in the transparency and security of ordinary citizens. That part is very important, and forgive me for saying this, but um, uh, it's one thing to have poll watchers on hand during the election, during the actual voting hours. But when right. you talk about when you talk about um, some states that are going to continue counting for days and days and days and days, do are we allowed to have and can we have poll watchers in the counting rooms for all of that period of time? And it's going to take a lot of people to cover all of that because, like you said, in in Alaska, and that's I think a, an extreme example, but we saw. 23, we'll use this as our timeout. We'll try to reestablish a line with Ken Cuccinelli so we can talk a little bit more about election integrity right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Darling, you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine. I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go? Serve a fair price. Okay, 1025. We've got Ken Cuccinelli back after a dropped call there. Um, 
So I, I don't know if you heard the question, uh, Ken, but we were, we were, you were talking about uh, the importance of having uh, poll watchers, public poll watchers, going in and making yeah. sure that everything is on the up and up, which is very important for transparency. My question to you, and I don't know if you heard it before the cutout, was it's not just poll watchers during the election hours. It's can we have poll watchers in the counting room, even in states where it's taking days for them to finish their, their counting? Because that's where I feel like most of the, you know, the opportunities for fraud exist. Sure. So I want to be really clear. Poll watchers work for campaigns. What I'm urging people to do is go work for your local election officials. Go inside. That doesn't mean year-round. They hire citizens and train them just to run the election. So you'll be the one on the inside counting the votes. That's what I'm talking about doing. And that's what has uh, really been left behind by people on the right. Well, uh, Soros-funded organizations have been recruiting people to do this for a long, long time. So go inside, do the vote counting. Don't just work for a campaign. Work for your own government to be the neutral arbiter of executing the election. So how did how did they decide? Clear. How did how did they decide whom they hire on these temporary bases, though? Because I'm worried that so, they may be. Yeah. Yeah. So in, it's different in every state. Every state has its own election laws, but I'll just I'll use Virginia because I know it best, and okay. and other many other states are similar. Um, the local party chairs, Democrat and Republican, pass along names of people. And the the registrars, as they're called in Virginia, are supposed to hire um, on an equal basis from the two lists. They also have a third list of nonpartisans um, that they fill gaps with. But traditionally, more people on the left than the right have shown up in these positions. And you've probably seen media where the left is freaking out about, uh, they always refer to Republicans, but I'll just say people on the right are, invading the election places and showing up like crazy and whole armies of them. And, and, uh, relative to the past, that's true. And yet they still don't have as many on the inside as those on the left. So, uh, in Virginia with a whole slew of Democrat election changes, cause they got control in Virginia in 2019 and made 60 plus changes. Um, we still won a sweep in 2021 in part because about 3,500 ordinary Virginians stepped forward and got themselves trained, and we covered over 90% of the targeted election official slots through the duration of the election, which for us is now 45 days. That's one of the changes they made, wow. and uh, which is terrible for election security and transparency. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, it was largely successfully accomplished, by those citizens. And the biggest problems in the election in Virginia in 2021 were spotted and reported by those new election officials. See, that's good. Now, that's motivational, and, I, and I'm glad to hear that. Now, Ken, the last thing, because I only have about two minutes left here, the last thing I want to ask you about is, are you familiar with the ERIC voting systems that are being used in several states? Yeah. A lot of my audience here in Ohio is very concerned because we're a red state and we are involved in this in this Eric system, which I think the best description that I've seen for this, this is a left-wing voter registration organization, um, hidden and disguised as something that cleans up the voter rolls. What can you tell us about this and, and about its, um, I don't know, its constitutionality, if anything, or its legality? Well, it's constitutional, but um, there's a lot of controversy surrounding Eric, and it isn't so much that Eric itself is a left left wing entity 
but all overwhelmingly, I don't know of a single exception to this. All of the nonprofits they work with are are left wing nonprofits. So well, they're funded by they, the Soros Open Society Foundation. That's that's the yes, reason people well, think it's left wing. And, and there you go, king of the king of them all on the left in the voting area, and he has been funding. Uh, undermining elections in America for almost 20 years now. He's also behind the funding of the, I mean, you've heard him called Soros prosecutors who are, who run and get elected and promise not to prosecute. Secretaries of state who use their offices to swing elections. Ask Senator Norm Coleman in Minnesota. Oh, wait, there was no Senator Norm Coleman. That's right, because the Soros Secretary of State essentially swung that race illegally to Al Franken. Um, back in the day. And, uh, you know, that's why he puts the money in. And they're freaking out that the right is finally showing up in these things, though though we don't have anything like the money that the left is putting in. And the Eric system is a problem. And, and more fundamentally, and a problem that Ohio controls outside of Eric, all 50 states have sloppy voter rolls. They just do. And um, nobody cleans them up well. And it's 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 funny, as in not funny, that elected officials only want to use government to solve these problems. Well, if you want to go sell something on Amazon, they run you through about 99 databases, and they figure out for absolutely daggone sure that you are who you say you are, and you're operating, i.e. you live, where you say you live. And there's nothing stopping government from using those databases. You don't have to turn the decision-making over to those outside databases. But why do we use the national change of address as the main main information item from the post office? We all joke about how bad the post office is. Yeah. So why are we relying on the post office to clean up our voter rolls? So we, we've got to develop a new mentality among our legislators, right and left, and then, to use you know, all the tools available. And then there's the mail-in ballot. I hold in my hand, this arrived in my home five days ago, addressed to the France household or current resident, Ohio Voter Alert, request your absentee ballot today. And you open it up, and in the inside, it's official absentee ballot application. This isn't from the Secretary of State. This isn't from no, our local... No, this is from, it says, uh, paid for by Uniting Ohio. This is a left-wing organization that is telling you right inside, um, all registered voters in Ohio are eligible to vote in the November 8th general election from the convenience of their homes. Universal mail-in balloting instituted when we had COVID is now the rule of, of the day, if you will, or the law of the land here in the state of Ohio and elsewhere. And it is in no way secure. I didn't request this. And if I send it in or if, if I throw this away and somebody pulls it from my trash can and somebody else sends it in right. there, there there's there's very very little chance that it's going to be caught and that they're not I'm not going to have any they're not going to know that I wasn't the one who actually signed or one of my family members are the ones who signed it and actually cast this vote so it's so dangerous there's so many different ways for fraud to continue to happen I'm so glad you and others are on the job here Ken Cuccinelli um, hopefully we can talk again there's still a lot of time between now and November 8th but we got to shine a spotlight on these things and I appreciate you doing so I appreciate you paying as much attention to it as you have. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. That's Ken Cuccinelli, Senior Fellow at the Center for Renewing America, former Department of Homeland Security Deputy Secretary. We're past our news time. We're going to have to catch up, and then we're back on AM 1420, The Answer. Giving you today's 
most important news. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. Always right with Bob France. I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. On AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1040 now, back a little bit late from the bottom of the hour break. Went a little bit long with Ken Cuccinelli after a dropped call, but I feel like it's worth it. And we didn't even get to all of the places we needed to go with the former Secretary of Homeland Security. And now um, he's a watchdog on election integrity and uh, really appreciate his viewpoint on that. We'll talk to him again between now and November because um, the integrity of this upcoming election simply cannot be in question. It's one of the reasons why we've been telling everybody about, uh, you know, just just so overwhelm the system with Republican votes that even if they try to commit fraud, they won't have enough. There just won't be enough. We just have to leave no doubt. We're a red state. It's got to be kept that way, and we need to overwhelm them. That's the reason we're having the rally. We're having the huge rally, the battleground rally, coming up on October 22nd at the IX Center. Uh, we want you to be there, and guess what? We have a sponsor for the event, so your ticket is covered. Your ticket price is paid for. All you got to do is claim it. Just go to whkradio.com and bring people. Bring people so that they understand the depth and the severity of the situation that we are facing right now, and let's overwhelm them at the ballot box so that there cannot even be an opportunity to uh, to steal another election. All right, let's go. Speaking of elections, um, our next guest, Christina Hagen, who's our regular Friday commentator on the news of the day, sits on the Ohio Elections Commission. She is also a former Ohio State representative. She joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Christina Hagen, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I am well outside of the reality of politics and just weaponization from this administration. It continues to be alarming and more than concerning, but that's why we're here today. Well, speaking of concerning, uh, Christina, I I have to ask you, I did um, almost an hour on this yesterday because I found it so concerning. Um, The mental acuity, the cognitive... Uh, ability uh, of of Joe Biden to continue leading the free world, if you believe that he's leading the government in the first place, um, these questions are only getting louder the more we see things like this. And so many of you know so much about this as well, and you're committed. And I want to thank all of you here for including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was was going to be here to help make this. Christina, by now everybody knows the story. Jackie Walorski, the uh, congresswoman from Indiana, died tragically in a car accident last month. He knew about it. He issued a statement about it, about how saddened and shocked he was by it. Um, And yet he's looking for her in the crowd. The explanation from Corrine Jean-Pierre was worse than his his gaffe as she continued to defend it rather than saying, look, he made a mistake. A lot of people do. Uh, he, he wasn't thinking clearly. He forgot for momentarily that, you know, about her tragic accident, but she'd worked on this. She could have handled it so much better, but she doubled down, tripled down. In fact, seven times over, she said, look. Uh, he didn't make a mistake. She was the top of his mind, and he was acknowledging her, which is an appropriate thing to do. I think it's an appropriate thing to recognize the cognitive abilities of the President of the United States. What say you? It, it is remarkable because every single day we heard on the news how Trump was unfit mentally. Uh, he was not, his cognitive ability was not present. He was unable to lead. He was, you know, this wild man that was just shooting from the hip, had no real um, intellectual capacity of any sort when we know 
the opposite to be absolutely true about that man. Yet we have this stumbling, bumbling um, president that we know is generally 100% of the time reading directly off of teleprompters, but when he does pivot and expound from his own memory banks, which are void of nearly anything, he says things like this, which lead us to believe he doesn't know what day of the week it is, let alone who's even present in governing bodies across the United States of America. This is a person who should not be in charge of this country, who should not be leading the national or the international platform, you know, to be a president of this country and to have the um, the really scary times that we have ahead of us, the way Putin is leading, the way China is leading. And this is what we can count on is next to nothing. Somebody who doesn't even know who is serving in the chambers when they're calling them out. And I think it with the media, with the press secretary, their response, their unwillingness to accept something that, you know, you could easily say, yeah, this is the president of the United States. There is a lot going on at all times. He may not be able to remember these finite details. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. It was a slip of the tongue. He made a mistake. He's issuing an apology directly to the family. That's not what was said. What was said is what happens in fascist countries where you are lied to by the people that are safeguarding the elites, the leaders, and you're supposed to believe what you hear from them, not what is actually said or done. And so I think it is, you know, it's, it's a small thing, but it's not. This is huge because this is a perpetuation of who they are. It does not matter what facts they are presented with. The message does not deviate from they are governing in a sound way. The economy is good. She's alive. You're wrong. We're not coming after you, even though the DOJ is at your doorstep. You know, everything's fine. Everything's honky-dory, and this is a great country. Believe it. Because that's what the propaganda says. So I think that's... The ultimate concern here is the perpetuation of lies, irregardless of where his mental capacity even is. It doesn't matter because he's so safeguarded by everyone who's locked in step with that message. Yeah, that's very well said. We're talking to Christina Hagan, a member of the Ohio Elections Commission. She's a former state representative as well. And um, I want to talk about the uh, federal government coming to your door in a moment. Um, but the protection that Joe Biden continues to enjoy uh, against the invocation of the 25th Amendment and his inability to serve, you know, in his capacity as President of the United States, continues to be this woman. This is the, the, the best protection he has. The idea that if he was removed as President, this woman would be the President. So the United States shares a very important relationship, which is an alliance with the Republic of North Korea. And it is an alliance that is strong and enduring. We're we have an alliance apparently with the with North Korea. North Korea. I I um I got I got flashbacks there. I had little deja vu of this. Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. So apparently um, she lost her second grade uh, geography book that she had when she announced that Ukraine was a small country next to Russia, a big country. And she didn't realize that we have been enemies of North Korea, a communist nation, for decades. That we actually went to war on behalf of South Korea against North Korea. All of that apparently left her. 
And then the last thing before I get your response on her, Christina Hagen, is she said this as she went to the DMZ uh, to take a look at South Korea's border while she refuses to acknowledge anything having to do with her own country's border. But while she was there, she pulled off this gem. For the purposes of uh, radio here, she's looking through a set of binoculars into North Korea from the DMZ. And as she looks through those binoculars, she looks to one of the uh, soldiers with her and says... I apologize for the quality of the audio there. She turned and looked and said, it's amazing. You can see it with your own eyes. I mean, it looks so close as she looks through a pair of binoculars at North Korean soil 50 meters away from her. And it took the it took the soldier to say it's fifty meters away, ma'am. He had to be just like, what is the heck is the matter with you, you bumbling, babbling buffoon? You have no earthly idea where you are. Um, so anyway, the point being, Christina, we, it's a gaff a day in the Biden administration. It almost seems like they're trying to one up one another on which one of them is more cognitively impaired. Joe Biden by age, Kamala Harris, I think, just by you know, just by 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 genetics, stupidity. I don't know what what, what her problem is. What are your thoughts? Sheer willful ignorance. I mean, to have climbed the ladder, if you will, to this height in the political arena while knowing next to nothing, I think, shows the level of accountability that is held on liberal candidates. I mean, a great example is, you know, the attacks that have been lodged against the prime minister of Italy. Obviously, finger, you know, thumb, finger on the pulse, heart for the people, highly cognizant and aware of the global threats and the attack of the identity of her people, of her country, of the well-being of their economy, um, speaks clearly, effectively, and on point. And she's labeled a fascist and attacked, yet Kamala Harris doesn't know where she is at any point. Again, same same story as Joe Biden, but she can't even claim, you know, oh, it's the onset of dementia. I mean, this is a woman who should be able-bodied that is second in line to control the most important country in the world, and... You know, she's laughing at best at any important time. Um, she's claiming to be allies with North Korea, longstanding relationship with North Korea. And I actually looked at my brother. I saw him the other day at our family farm as we were passing through kids and family. And I said, did you hear what Kamala Harris said, that North Korea is a longstanding? And he said, well, it's true when she says it because they're longstanding allies of the Democrat Party. And, you know, it's like you want to laugh so you don't cry. But the reality is uh, they love the direction that everything's going in. And so true. being aware or in charge is not important to them because it is about a global stage. It is about higher powers. It is about d- diminishing um, the respect that America once had, but the power and authority on every front. I mean, the fact that my daughter, who is in first grade, has better Acuity geographically than the vice president of the United States should be alarming to every American citizen. No question about it. I am here, standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank, talking about what we have in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I just cannot help it myself sometimes. Let's Stop talk playing it. It's like nails on a chopping board. I know. Well, I mean, there's so it? many of them. We I, know I mean, it's there. I could do a three-hour show of just Biden-Harris gaffes. I could do a three-hour gag reel of just their gaffes. Um, Well, you have to laugh so you don't cry. That is true. Exactly right. But it's still real, Bob. No, you know what? You're you're 100% right, Christina. Christina, last thing, let's talk about uh, Mark Houck, because you, you brought this up kind of in passing a moment ago. The FBI um, is pounding on the doors of people based on simply rumors, rumors that they were in Washington, D.C. on January 6, 2021. They're getting tips from people uh, that are basically, it's kind of like swatting uh, and saying, I know this person was uh, was in uh, in Washington. Now, that means that doesn't mean they were accused of a crime. It doesn't mean they were at the Capitol. It doesn't mean they walked inside. It doesn't mean anything. It's just you were there. And we have evidence of the FBI banging on doors and, and threatening and intimidating people who may just have been there. Now let's talk about what they're doing also to pro-life activists like Mark Houck. He's a, he's a pro-life activist and an author from Pennsylvania. He's very outspoken. He's one of the people that leads prayers on sidewalks outside of abortion clinics, tries to talk young women who are going to uh, kill their babies out of it to tell them that there are other opportunities, there are other things, and so on and so forth. And most everybody knows the story by now. Uh, the story is... <clears throat> that a pro-death thug came up and continued for, uh, I don't even know how many times it was, to talk to and thus harass uh, Mark Houck's 12-year-old boy. Uh, eventually, Mark Houck pushed him away from his boy. Didn't knock him down, pushed him away. It was investigated by local police. It was investigated by local sheriffs. Uh, it was handed to a prosecutor. Everything was completely dismissed because it was a nothing burger. And yet 30 FBI agents showed up at his door last week, pounding on it at 7 a.m., pointing rifles at him and his wife and scaring the uh, the living daylights out of his seven children, all because they're trying to, well, I don't know. You tell me, Christina Higgin. What are they trying to do? I, I think they're trying to send a message loud and clear that um, their agenda will proceed regardless of laws, regardless of religion, regardless of people's personal advocacy, that at any cost, um, they will kill humans for profit. Um, they will defend this right that they have enshrined in their party's platform. Um, and they don't care uh, how they have to invade your invade you and interrogate and intimidate your family. I mean, for listening to his wife, you know, obviously not a public speaker, just a mom, a wife, a normal woman who loves the Lord and cares about people. I mean, these are people that are not just, trying to intercede with prayer, but provide healing to women that are post-abortive. So not acting in judgment for a woman that chooses what may be lawful, albeit wrong. Um, They're trying to wrap around and support women in this greatest hour of need, which is something that is closer to my heart than nearly anything in the world. And to know that they are a target where there were no crimes, um, where, you know, there was no injury, no claim. And this man is simply protecting his child from a, a, a this continually intimidating attack of a yeah, an aggressive older, harassment, larger, right? Aggress- yeah. You know, I would do the same thing. Would you do? I mean, I don't know anybody who wouldn't put an arm between their child and safety. You know, this you need to back away. In fact, I've been in the heat of that moment, the spiritual warfare of good versus evil and the pro-life versus pro-choice. Even, you know, we had a socket to Planned Parenthood rally outside of Senator Sherrod Brown's office a handful of years ago. 
And I was, I believe, pregnant with Josephine at the time. And I, I remember being there on the sidewalk and just speaking outside of a truck filled with baby socks that was brought from Students for Life of America to just show um, the brutal reality of this decision of many to abort their children in places like Planned Parenthood, uh, supported by taxpayer dollars by Sherrod Brown and others, to pay for this heinous crime against humanity. And standing there, the women that were attacking, you know, coming after you and just different people, just the spiritual warfare. I remember specifically putting my hand up in front of me to just kind of guard the space around my body to protect my body. Right. And that just that the DOJ could be on my doorstep. And that was a handful of years ago. Well, the, and the, I didn't even touch anyone. The, you know, the, the worst part crazy. about it is the fact that even if there was something that they felt may have been illegal or it's something that you do or that Mark out or I mean, uh, yeah, Mark out did. Um, it they would be a local, willing to comply. It, it, but it would be a yeah, local it issue. Local. It would be local. <laughs> yeah. It would be for a police department. It would be for a local prosecutor. It is in no way a federal crime, any way whatsoever. Zero to, business. Yeah, and yet here come the feds. So that lets you know that it's not about law enforcement at this point. It is about what you said at the beginning: sending a message and intimidating people into keeping their big mouths shut about things that they disagree with. So that's where we'll leave it for now. We're out of. All right, Bob. God bless. Thank you. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, eight minutes past 11 o'clock. Good conversations the last uh, hour or so with um, Christina Hagen and former Homeland Security Deputy Secretary Ken Cuccinelli. You just heard, uh, as we continue uh, in the intro there to the third hour, President Reagan talking about peace and what is the road to peace. You know, there's international peace and then there's domestic peace. Domestic peace is generally secured by police, generally by the criminal justice system. We don't have domestic peace anymore. At least not right now, at least not in the world of, of Biden, in the world of Democrats defunding cops, um, weakening them, limiting what they can do to protect and, pre- and preserve uh, the peace and protect life. And because of left-wing DAs, left-wing judges, I mean, it's a hodgepodge of things that have been thrown together here to put the American people in a place where they are no longer safe. And then to top it all off, as Americans say, well, if I can't expect protection from the police, I'm going to have to protect myself. 
and they want to avail themselves of the Second Amendment only to have the President of the United States continue his ranting and his railing against certain weapons that Americans might use to defend themselves. So what, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do about the rising crime rates? Double-digit crime rates, particularly homicide rates, in virtually every big blue American city, every urban center. What are we supposed to do about it? Well, joining us now to talk about it, somebody who is um, studying it very, very closely, Dr. Curry Myers is a criminologist, a university professor, and a retired sheriff. He's got a rare insight, uh, a blend of academics and street smarts. Uh, He wrote an analysis of rising homicide rates in major cities, concluding with a list of potential causal theories for the continued increases in homicides. And he joins us to share that with us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Uh, Myers, thank you so much for the time this morning. How are you? It's an honor and privilege. Thank you. I'm doing well. So before we get into the causes and uh, the the list that you have put together, can you speak generally to what I introduced you with? Um, We are in a very, very strange place right now where the people are are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. They can't trust that the police will always be there for them, not because of the police, but because of the handcuffs, um, if you will, uh, that have been placed on the police and their ability to respond and to protect and prevent crime. Uh, and then the people, uh, they find themselves in a position where they have to defend themselves. And unfortunately, most people just can't, especially when some of the attacks that are made are ambush style. They're sucker punches. Uh, people are being uh, uh, assaulted in public areas in broad daylight. Uh, stores are being robbed, uh, again, violently with arms and so forth. Um, how do we get to this place? Well, it's a great question. I think I think we're in, in one of the worst um uh, times in American history uh, when it comes to social chaos. Uh, I, In my opinion, it's even far worse than what it was in the 60s when we had social unrest and anarchy, but we didn't have the level of unrest that we see on the streets today, not just in anarchy, but in, in all types of crimes. And, I, you know, the uh, it's so important for, for people to feel safe and secure it's probably the number one thing that that people need. If you look at Maslow's, you know, theories, um, being safe and secure is the thing that you do even before you hunt for food. Mm-hmm. Um, going back, you know, in millennials. So uh, we are in a unique time. We haven't focused on um, violent crime. Um, we haven't focused on recidivism, uh, and we do have rogue prosecutors that are that are not doing what they have are supposed to do according to their oath of office and it's uh, it's quite concerning you know some of those prosecutors are being held to account obviously they had a massive recall in san francisco and uh this prosecutor up there the district attorney chesa boudin was sent packing they tried to do it to george gascon in um in los angeles and uh, did not have enough signatures and so these prosecutors, they, they really seem to be doubling down, um, strangely enough, despite the statistics saying what you're doing is failing. What you're doing is putting more people in more harm's way. Um, I, I literally saw a, a brief interview with, I think it's the Philadelphia district attorney, who is insisting that despite some 1,700 deaths, public deaths from violent crimes in the last 20 months, he said it's working. There was a big debate about whether or not it was working. He's insisting. How are they doubling down when the statistics, many of which you cite, indicate that um, uh, what they're doing is incentivizing crime rather than uh, deterring it? 
evidence doesn't matter anymore. I'm amazed that empirical data is not now used uh, for empirical data to make decisions. We are making, we are literally making decisions, public safety policy decisions based on feelings. And when you base it on feelings, there's there's no facts to support it. So it, these folks are are in a situation where they're supporting their theories, and the facts are not ba- uh, backing it up at all. Um, Data based policing is so important, and and law enforcement agencies across the country often can't do um, data based policing because it's factual based and it and, and it upsets people who uh, use the feelings based approach the feelings based approach was put on steroids i think after the george floyd incident right i mean uh, yeah. that that changed the face of law enforcement that changed the face of criminality quite frankly we have to find a way to not be so harsh to criminals uh never mind the circumstances never mind the reality of the situation cops um were all painted uh you know as derek chauvin for really ever since then and continuing through to today so the question becomes how can police officers be as, I don't want to use the word aggressive because that would indicate physical aggression, but how can they be as assertive as they need to be to to deter crime, to be visible, to be present, and yes, to lock people up and actually have accountability for them, meaning a stiff prosecution, stiff sentences. Um, how do we get back to that place? Well, I would think even before Floyd, we had Ferguson, and there's no question that the Ferguson effect is still having a tremendous impact on law enforcement across the country. Uh, you know, that police officer that was that was accused of, uh, that committed the murder, it was a murder, but it was a lawful murder of the person was, was found innocent, not only at the, at the state level, but by the federal government. That's and right. and that, that police officer is unheard of from today. He left the department, um, no idea his whereabouts. Um, his whether or not he's his is okay uh, mentally or physically he probably um, had to change his, his name he, he probably yeah, had to I mean, change his, his life name was he was ruined. always yeah yeah and and that's what's so different between now and in the 1960s is we are often um, convicted in the court of public opinion and social media has driven that kind of woke feelings philosophy even more where people are convicted as soon as information comes out and in many times, the facts that are immediately released are not true. Um, so, the, 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 and, and the media, the regular media itself is also, um, the, uh, you know, part of the victim of this, is that they put out this information, and, and a lot of it is not true, uh, or it's not in full detail. So, the biggest issues that we have today is that we are not using recidivism and the in the basis of recidivism, about 62% of violent offenders, when they're released from prison, will reoffend within the first three years. If you look at the first five years, it's 71%. And if you look at those 24 and under who are violent offenders that get let out, it's, it's 81% of them will reoffend. This is data. This is why we have to focus on recidivism. Um, to Dr. Make sure Myers, that, Dr. Uh, Myers, give me yeah. context on that, though. Like, how has that changed, say, from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, two decades, however it is? Is, is the recidivism, recidivism rate rising? 
it's it's still similar, but back in but but five or ten years ago, we would focus on parole um, in a different way than what we've done. We virtually have eliminated parole. Everything's kind of probation, so we don't have a lot of what I call watchdogs that are watching over recidivists as they get out in the community. The other thing is we've completely have changed bail. Um, in many cities, we have uh, we have bailless release where they're not held accountable at all. And this includes, again, people who are recidivists, where many of them have had multiple offenses. They get arrested for um, a, an offense, sometimes a misdemeanor, often a felony, mm-hmm. um, but they are put back out um, with with literally no bail. And it's again, it's because of the of this feelings based approach to the that criminals are victims. And so we have to treat them as victims as well. Uh, and then you get into the law enforcement funding issue. We have more and more police office, police departments that are not funded fully. In fact, Minneapolis uh, this year um, had a 13% budget reduction um, in their funding, and they have uh, in 2022 they've had more than 4,000 um, um, violent offenses uh, that have occurred thus far. To give you some context, in 2018 they had uh, about 2,500, um, and yet they're having a, a 13% budget reduction. And we're seeing budget reductions throughout the United States. And that doesn't account also for um, our economic situation right now, um, that the budgets are not really the same because of the um, expenses that we're right. seeing with gas and everything else. Sure. Um, everything else is going up. So, um, and, and when you fund police, you need to fund them appropriately through general funds. I think people would be shocked that many police departments are actually funded through fines, fees, and forfeitures. Um, in some areas, up to 50%, some down even to 5%. But when you start using um, police as revenue agents, um, that does not bode very well for the community police relationship. Law enforcement needs to be funded. They need to be funded very well, but they need to be funded through general funding and not through the use of uh, fines and fees and forfeitures. I'll give you an example. Uh, Chicago themselves have put probably nearly 500 speed cameras out in in different areas on the streets, not just the highways, but in town. And uh, their fine rate has gone up considerably um, to help um, budget for the police department. We are talking with uh, Dr. Curry Myers. Uh, Dr. Myers is a Ph.D. He's got an M.S. in criminal justice as well as an M.B.A., the president of Sheriff Myers and Associates. Uh, I want to look at number six on your list of causal theories for a continued increase in homicides, and that is, I'm assuming this is to mean illegal immigration. That's so tough to say sometimes. Recidivism occurring from previous violent offenders entering the United States illegally and now reoffending in cities. Uh, As an example, and you give uh, a a number, uh, fiscal year 2019, uh, Border Patrol issued 165,000 plus detainers. Aliens who were the subjects of these detainers had criminal histories, including but not limited to uh, the crimes of assault, sex crimes, robberies, homicides, kidnappings, and we're talking thousands upon thousands of these um nobody talks about that well i shouldn't say nobody a lot of people don't talk about that they just seem to think that illegal immigration is an issue of uh of resources they don't talk about the crime that is brought over with them. yeah and i, I cite 2019 because that was the last the factual study that C, uh, cbp did 
Um, uh, data, of course, is historic, and it takes a while to compile. Yeah, sure. But we're, we have tripled the amount of people that are coming into this country illegally. So um, those, those levels have naturally arithmetically increased. Um, you can almost triple the same, the same information that's here um, based on 2022 statistics. And more and more illegal immigration are, are being funneled to different areas of the country. Um, so the impact is spread all over the United States. Um, that's the reason, it's one of the reasons that we're seeing um, additional, you know, additional high crime. When you import, you know, if, if 5% of the people that you are importing are criminals, um, then arithmetically you're going to have 5% more of all types of crimes. It's, it's, it's not rocket science. No, but that makes perfect but, sense. But, but people don't. You know, it, it's we have forgot the the term uh, unintended consequences of making decisions, of bad decisions, and we are suffering from major unintended consequences um, on many of our public policy decisions when it's come to the criminal justice field. I might slightly disagree. I don't know if we have forgotten. I think some of the policymakers know full well they haven't forgotten. They just don't care. They know what the unintended consequences are going to be, and they are willing to accept them if it helps them to advance an agenda. And that's the the real troubling aspect. Uh, I I understand that. Dr. Myers, I only have a minute or two left here, but just super quick. Number seven on your list of uh, causal theories uh, of uh, reasons for the increase in homicides is the one nobody is allowed to say out loud. Nobody wants to say this is a systemic racist country, you don't understand oppression, but the reality is black-on-black crime continues to be high and extraordinarily high and uh, proportionally, um, you know, light years higher than than other races in America. It's true. I've done an in-depth look at different cities and black-on-black crime, not only the suspects being black, but the victims are being black is the the vast majority of of assaults and homicides that are occurring in most American cities. And the data that I've seen from the uh, FBI Department of Justice um, statistics, this this goes back um, 20 years. So for 20 years, black-on-black crime has been one of the biggest issues that no one wants to talk about. And again, this is based on evidence and it's based on factual data and no one wants to pay attention to this evidence-based policing. It's so important to be able to understand what's happening in communities because police resources have to be dedicated to areas in which the, the most significant and serious crime is occurring. And if you don't, then crime will escalate. There's no question about it. And uh, the rest of the, uh, the the list of nine causal theories or reasons for the escalating homicide rates, you can read on your own. I've got uh, Dr. Meyer's uh, article link from his Substack uh, to alwayswrite.us. So make sure you check that out after the show. Read it in a little bit more depth. He's got the statistics about the top uh, cities in America for homicides and uh, some of those reasons, because we really do have to start paying a lot more attention to this, or it is only going to get worse. Dr. Myers, I appreciate the work that you do, and I appreciate you coming on with us and sharing it with us today. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. Thank you. God bless. Uh, that's Dr. Curry Myers. It's 1125. We'll take our time out here. We'll come back. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer.
All right, friends, have you uh, made your lunch plans yet? You better. It's, you know, it's, what is it? It's a half an hour until noon, for goodness sakes. Where are you going for lunch? If you don't have lunch plans yet, and it's within driving distance, may I recommend to you Harry Buffalo in North Olmstead. Absolutely phenomenal lunch menu. A terrific menu at great pricing, too. You know, a lot of uh, restaurants have had to raise their prices just because of the cost of ingredients, cost of food, cost of everything in Bidenomic America. Uh, but uh, they continue to do tremendously well at Harry Buffalo by keeping the prices reasonable because the more people can come in and buy uh, uh, great food at reasonable prices, well, they'll make it up in volume. And that's the way it's done. The food is cr- incredible. If you haven't checked out the menu before, log on to harrybuffalo.com and take a look at yourself for yourself at the sandwiches, the bowls, the wings, the salads, the tacos, the pizza, the burger bonanza. It's amazing. By the way, the weekly special, rather, the daily special, they have a different daily special each day of the week. For Friday, happy hour, 4 to 7, it is uh, a $12 fish fry that you absolutely have to try to believe. It is so phenomenal. The the batter is so flaky and so delicious. you got to check it out. But whether you want the fish fry or you want something else off of that phenomenal menu, just make sure you log on first to harrybuffalo.com and join the herd because you'll get a free appetizer for your next visit when you come to Harry Buffalo. Whether you do it for lunch, whether you do it for happy hour tonight, whether you do it for dinner, it doesn't matter. It's always a great time when it's Harry Buffalo time on Great Northern Boulevard in North Olmstead. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Hey, well, I'm a friendly stranger in the black sedan. I want you hop inside my car. I got pictures, got candy. I'm a lovable man and I can take you to the nearest star. I'm your vehicle, baby. It's 1134. You continue on AM 1420, The Answer, uh, on this Friday. Really, really great guest today. Really appreciate uh, the chance to talk to Ken Cuccinelli again. We talked to Christina Hagen, as we always do on Fridays, and a great conversation with Dr. Myers. Uh, just moments ago. So I got time for a couple of calls here before the, um, uh, we hand it over to, um, uh, Bill O'Reilly. If you want to make one now at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those. If you want to hit on something that we have discussed on the program today, you can do that. If you would rather, uh, hit something new, uh, you can do that too and kind of a free for all thing. So we've got a few minutes for you. Uh, meantime, I am going to remind you that some states are taking action. Some are not. One of them is ours. One of those who is not, rather, is ours. Kind of sad to say that Ohio has not joined Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, Iowa, and South Carolina, all of whom have joined together to file a lawsuit against the Biden administration. This was filed yesterday in an attempt to stop Biden's unconstitutional and illegal student loan forgiveness program, the one that's going to cost $700 billion 
dollars. I think I saw the number. Was it? Was it? I think it was seven hundred billion dollars. I saw on the news a newscast this morning. Um, for a bunch of, you know, I, I don't. I don't want to cast aspersions here because not every degree is worthless. But a bunch of students who took out loans to get degrees that aren't going to enable them to pay them back, and so they're looking to people who are not suffering from student loan pains to pay it back for them. That's ultimately what it comes down to. It's one thing to talk about the fundamental unfairness of it all, and it is unfair. It is extraordinarily unfair to everybody, particularly people who did pay theirs back. There's so many different people um, who've got an axe to grind with this. If you paid your loan back, you have a right to be angry. If you decided not to take out a loan because you couldn't afford it and you decided to go to a, a trade school, you have a right to be angry. If you went into the military under the GI Bill to, to pay for it with your own blood, sweat, and tears, you have a right to be angry. Well, Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, Iowa, Nebraska, and uh, South Carolina are all angry enough to file this lawsuit. In addition to being economically unwise and downright unfair, that's the part I'm focusing on, the Biden administration's mass debt cancellation is yet another example in a long line of unlawful regulatory actions. The plaintiffs argued in their filing. The administration has said it will wipe out $10,000 in loans for borrowers making under $125,000 a year and up to $20,000 for Pell Grant recipients who also meet that, that criteria. Married persons filing jointly will be able to take advantage of the new benefit if their income does not exceed $250,000. And while Biden has styled the programs as a targeted effort to help families who need it the most, such as working in middle-class people hit hard during the pandemic, Republican officials pointing out as they try to stop the implementation of this, dispute that characterization, citing the Wharton School study at the University of Pennsylvania that found that the majority of the beneficiaries will be among the top 60% of earners. In other words, the rich kids are the ones who are going to be saving the money. The attorneys general spearheading the legal challenge also submit that no statute permits the Biden administration to unilaterally relieve millions of individuals from their obligation to pay loans that they voluntarily assumed. And that is the key. The The fundamental unfairness of it all, we, we covered that and we covered that up, up one side and on the other. But the constitutional side of it, the legality of it, well, this is what the lawsuit is over. So I guess my point is, what are you waiting for, Dave Yost? What are you waiting for, Ohio uh, uh, sec- or, uh, uh, Attorney General? Why are you not joining this lawsuit? Because this is straight up wrong. It's unfair, and it's, and it's quite frankly criminal. All right, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Let's squeeze a few calls in here before we uh, finish and hand it to O'Reilly. Uh, Chuck is in North Ridgeville. Hi, Chuck. Thanks for calling. Go ahead, sir. Mr. France, as always, a great show, even though it's... It is open line Friday or whatever you call it, but it's, it's pretty clogged. Anyway, I wanted to address what you were talking about, about masks. Yeah. And the CDC dropping that mandate. Uh, well, there's a lot of danger with the mask. I'm in health care, and three years ago, they had to be prescribed. Because I'm working at the Cleveland Clinic, people are getting double lung transplants. And he said, well, you got to walk the hall three days, you know. But you do it to tolerance. But they cut off 25% of your oxygen. Uh, they also uh, back up the noxious stuff that's coming out of you that you're trying to extirpate. And they also yeah. incubate the sh- uh-huh. 
Well, I'm sorry. I was just agreeing with you. The part about uh, inhaling your own CO2 and all of the germs and the phlegm and everything else that you breathe and exhale onto the inside of that mask, you then suck back in with every breath that you take. You still there, Chuck? Oh, we lost Chuck. Okay, I thought I thought he just stopped talking because he thought I was interrupting him. So, Chuck, no, thank you for the phone call. And, uh, and yes, so the point that he's making and that I brought up earlier is the CDC has lifted its guidance that health centers, we're not even talking about other health centers, hospitals, clinics, etc., they do not have to require masks anymore. It is no longer necessary. So the question is, is will all of the health centers follow and will everybody else stop with the nonsense? And again, I won't, I won't harass anybody who wants to wear a mask. You want to wear a mask? You can wear a, f- alright, I gotta, I, I didn't, I didn't ask Dr. Myers of this and I should have. The one element that I feel like we should say, even though we don't want to, we, we want to say to each his own, you can choose whether you want to wear a mask or not. I'm not going to harass the mask wearers if they don't harass me about not wearing that one, et cetera. But there is one element to that that I think we have to consider. I was just talk, talking to Dr. Myers about the crime rate and the increase in violent crimes in America. I have no doubt in my mind that one of the contributing factors to that is the wearing of masks. Now, you can wear masks and sunglasses into places like banks, stores, and other places to conceal your identity as you rob them. It used to be that you couldn't wear face coverings in places like that because they need the cameras to be able to recognize you in the event that you do something illegal. So the the masking of America has led to a whole lot of um, unintended consequences, to borrow the phrase that Dr. Myers was using. Um, but, and one of them is an increasing uh, rate of violent crime because people can hide behind those masks and uh, their identity is is largely concealed. So, thank you for the call, Chuck. Joanne is next in Twinsburg. Hi, Joanne. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. You know, this whole vaccine thing, I mean, I'll be honest, never had a test, never had a vaccine. If I can't handle a cold, I'm in trouble. But I'm an old lady. I mean, I had a polio vaccine. I had a smallpox vaccine. They didn't wane over time. You guys actually air a PSA that says vaccines wane over time. It's not a vaccine if it wanes over time. That's right. It's not. It's <laughs> I'm not. sick of this. <laughs> no, no. The definite, you know, and the, the most frustrating thing about it, Joanne, and I know you know this, is they changed the definition of vaccine from being something that, that vaccinates you or inoculates you against infection to something that can help lessen your symptoms. They did that you know, solely at the CDC for, for the purpose of COVID once they realized that the shots they said were effective were not effective. You know, I'm an old lady, but I walk every day. I watched a guy jogging down the street the other day in a mask, and all you can do is laugh. I mean, yeah. what else do you do? It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. The, <laughs> the other thing, the only other thing you can do. you're not healthy enough that you think you can't live without a mask. You're in fresh air. The only other understand. thing you can do, Joanne, and thank you for the call, other than laughing at them, is to make bits and make fun of them. Always Right presents Real American Heroes. Real American Heroes. Today, we salute you, Mr. Driving Alone.
to know just how woke you are, even if your common sense is passed out on the back seat like an old drunken sailor. As long as he's got his mask on, yeah. So here's to you, Mr. Driving Alone with a Mask Guy. You may indeed suffocate in your own CO2, but at least you won't get COVID right up until you do. Brought to you by Always Right Video, AM 1420, The Answer. That's the other thing you can do. Just make fun of them on live radio. That's the other thing that you can do. And I still see them, by the way. I still see Mr. Driving Alone with his mask on guy on far too many occasions. All right, that's all the time we have. I want to wrap this heading into the weekend by reminding you, go to whkradio.com. Do it now. First come, first serve. Your ticket is paid for. It's covered by our sponsorship. We have got you handled. All you do is go to whkradio.com. Register to claim your free ticket to the Battleground Talkers Tour on October 22nd at the IX Center. See me, Peter Kersenow, Brandon Tatum, Eric Metaxas, and Hugh Hewitt live as we rally in this midterm election season. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day. Remain safe. Remain free. And we'll see you Monday. Bye-bye. Let's go, Brandon.